0: The following has been prepared solely for informational purposes, and it is not an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security. The information presented today is the opinion of the firm and is not intended as investment advice and should not be used as such. Welcome to Biblically Based Wealth Management with your host, Kevin Bruce. On this show, Kevin combines academic, behavioral, and biblical financial principles to separate the wheat from the chaff in investing and retirement planning. Now, here's your host, Kevin Bruce. Let's discuss the case for biblically responsible investing. What is it? Why should you consider it? I think the best place to start is with a little refresher about what investing in stocks actually is. When you buy a stock you become part owner of a company. Even if you own just one stock, you have a very, very, very small claim of ownership in that company, and you're awarded with some ownership rights. As an owner or a stock shareholder, you have a claim to that company's profits if paid out in dividends. You may have access to certain company meetings, the ability to vote on certain company issues, and at risk, you could lose up to your total investment in that company if things don't work out. But the beauty of stock ownership is that it allows you to participate in the success of a company passively on your terms. You don't have to start the business to find funding. You don't have to run it, manage it, deal with employees, contracts, and vendors. All you need to do is decide how much of your money would you like to put into the company, and then you can participate in the fruits of that company as long as you'd like. And if you ever decide you'd rather use your money for another reason, or you find a more attractive investment opportunity, you can simply sell your ownership fraction and move on typically within a couple days. You're not stuck trying to unwind your business. But deciding which company you want to invest in from the thousands of options that are out there can be very time consuming and it requires a specific knowledge in accounting, business and economics, as well as access to information that is typically only received through conversations with management of the company or you must purchase from data providers for thousands of dollars. Because of this, mutual funds and ETFs have become very popular, as they allow you to hire a professional or a team of professionals to choose which stocks to buy, which companies to invest in. However, because of the popularity of mutual funds and ETFs, the average investor has become more and more detached from the companies they actually own. Some investors will know the index that their ETF is built to replicate, such as the S&P 500 or the Russell 2000, or they may know their mutual funds investment objective, such as dividend-paying stocks, a growth fund, an income fund, whatever it may be. But they have little to no knowledge of what the underlying companies are of that index or that mutual fund, the companies that actually comprise the fund, the companies they actually own, the business activities that these companies engage in and is generating the profit for the investor. Now, I don't say this to bad mouth mutual funds or ETFs. I utilize both of them in my strategies, and I think they can be a great investment option. By offloading the day-to-day stock analysis, it allows you, the average investor, to spend your time doing what you enjoy most, what God's called you to do. Instead of coming home from work, trying to unwind, spend time with your family, and then be a part-time investment analyst. So I get that, I understand it, and I think for most people, it's probably the right way to go about it. But there's one more choice that we can make before handing off the day-to-day stock-picking responsibilities to the professionals. And what I'm referring to is the choice to be a good steward of what God has given us. And that choice is to follow a biblically responsible investment philosophy. So what I'm going to do now is first kind of define what biblically responsible investing is, or BRI for short. Then we'll look at reasons why you should consider it. Specifically, we'll look at it from four different angles, the social-political angle, the academic, the performance, and of course, the biblical perspective. So let's get into it. I think the most succinct way to define biblically responsible investing is simply to say it's the active avoidance of companies that profit from activities that violate biblical principles. So in addition to the traditional financial analysis that's conducted on a company by your average stock investor or mutual fund portfolio manager, BRI takes one additional step and it will look into the company's business activities, their sources of profits, the ideas and organizations that the company promotes and supports to see, do they violate biblical principles? With the idea that if the company does not violate the biblical principles, then it would pass a BRI screen or it would be considered biblically responsible. On the other hand, if the company violates biblical principles, then it would not pass. But just to be clear, just because a company is considered biblically responsible, that does not mean that they are out sharing the gospel or even that the owners are Christian or God-fearing people at all. It just means that they aren't actively violating or promoting violations of biblical principles. And the definition of what biblical principles is, it can vary from one BRI investment company to another, but generally it includes companies that support, promote, or profit from abortion, pornography, and oftentimes includes other items that may or may not be prohibited in the Bible, depending on your interpretation, which could mean alcohol, gambling, tobacco, but essentially what BRI is trying to do is to line your money with your morals so that you're not supporting a company that actively promotes or profits from things that go against your faith. So now let's look at the social political impact of biblically responsible investing. Have you ever felt that we're losing our country and the meaning of the words one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all is something that we're moving further away from rather than closer to? Well, if you do, then you're not alone. And I believe the problem lies in the way we vote. And I don't mean Democrat or Republican. But what I mean is most of us have been taught that we vote every two years. Every two years, we march to the polls and we vote for our representatives. And every four years, we get to vote for the president of the United States. It's, in my opinion, that's what's led us down the wrong track. Because have you ever noticed the results we get from this approach? Have you ever noticed that regardless of who wins, whether it's your side or not, The country seems to continue moving in the same direction, a direction that is away from one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Although if one side wins, it seems we might move at a slower pace in the wrong direction. We're always still moving in the wrong direction as a country, even when we get officials with enough courage to stand up and to propose and sometimes even pass legislation that would move us in the right direction, there always seems to be a judge or someone out there that's able to bring it all to a halt. But the good news is there's a better way. There's a simple way that we can all start today with, and that is we need to become selective consumers, meaning we only buy from, do business with, or invest in companies that share our beliefs, or at a minimum, don't actively oppose them. While we can cast 15 to 20 votes every two years and get more of the same, I think what would be more effective is to focus on what we vote for every day with our dollars. The stores we frequent, the coffee shops, the entertainment, every dollar we spend is a vote because unfortunately we're past the days when a company was just in the business to be the best at their business. Now they want to impose their beliefs on us. Companies make political donations, they design ad campaigns to make a social impact, and in some extreme cases, they try to silence those that have a different opinion than themselves. So we're no longer just buying a good or service of a company, we're also donating and supporting to their political and social campaigns, one which often directly opposes our views. In my opinion, that's where we're getting the vote wrong. Many people of faith vote conservatively at the polls, but then they spend... Every day of the next two years, supporting businesses and investing in companies that have a directly opposing moral and political belief system than they do. So if we want to make a positive change for the country, if we want to move more towards one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, we must stop supporting the organizations that oppose it with their actions, and we need to make a conscious effort to invest in and support businesses that hold our shared values. So now let's look at BRI from an academic perspective. Two well-established concepts in the academic world of investment management are the principle of diversification and the small company effect. Now, diversification, as you probably already know, can simply be stated as not putting all of your eggs in one basket. In portfolio management, one basket could mean one stock, one sector, one asset class, one country, and so on. But the goal of diversification is to achieve an optimal level of return at a minimum level of risk. And it's accomplished by spreading your investments across a combination of distinctly different securities that behave differently in different market and business environments. The small company effect basically states that over long periods of time, small cap companies or just think small companies tend to outperform large companies. Although this has been a well-known phenomenon in investing for a long period of time, no one's been able to pinpoint the exact reason for this phenomenon. There are a number of theories out there, including large companies just don't have as much room to grow as smaller companies do, or the analyst coverage on a small company is little to none versus a large company that has a lot of analysts following it. Therefore, there's less pricing efficiency in the smaller companies and more room for upward surprises, or even smaller companies are more risky. So you're just being compensated for that additional risk you're taking. My thought is that it's probably some combination of these theories that best describes small caps outperformance over the long period. But regardless of the specific reason, history has shown that the inclusion of small caps into a well-diversified portfolio can increase the portfolio's overall return. So what does this have to do with biblically responsible investing? Well, a study done by Altum Faithful Investing took the S&P 500 and applied a biblically responsible screen to each holding meaning they looked at each company in the S&P 500 and determined whether that company violated biblical principles or not. And depending on that answer, if they did not, they went into one portfolio, and if they did violate biblical principles, they went into another one. The end re- result was 52% complied with biblical principles and 48% failed and violated biblical principles. Now, with these two portfolios, they then took a look at the characteristics of of the companies that comprised each of them what they found was the bri portfolio was more diversified both by sector and market cap and offered a smaller company tilted portfolio when compared to the non-biblically responsible portfolio this is because what they found was that the larger the company the more likely it was to violate biblical principles so fewer of the really large companies were included in the biblically responsible portfolio And I think that's great because what we have here is a strong academic base for biblically responsible investing, because the latest and greatest investment strategy that's being deployed today by mutual funds and ETFs worldwide is something referred to as smart beta. And often it's also referred to as evidence based investing. And essentially what academics have done is followed the science of the historical source of investment returns and developed a strategy to benefit from them and a strategy that they call smart beta. And just to help explain for a moment what I'm talking about, there's something called beta and smart beta where beta means market risk and market returns that are generated just by having exposure just by being there. So not returns that are attributed to your brilliance or your perfect market timing skills or your stock picking abilities, but returns that are achieved just because you were there in the market. It's kind of like a stock market participation ribbon, if you will. Smart beta its the same idea, but instead of just showing up and being present, you put a little bit of emphasis, weighting. You put a little bit more of your asset allocation in the areas of the market, such as small cap companies, value companies, and such, where there tends to be more companies that have qualities that have historically demonstrated the ability to outperform the broader market over the long run. But again, you're not picking which stocks are winners and losers. You're not trying to time the market. You're just setting your asset allocation to have more emphasis on certain assets that, that have certain characteristics that historically have demonstrated long-term success. And I apologize for that long explanation, but that's essentially the definition of smart beta. But I think the beauty here is that it's always fun to see that one of the best investment strategies that academia can come up with, you know, with all of their brilliance is also happens to be a natural byproduct of biblically responsible investing. Now let's turn to performance. What has been the performance of a biblically responsible investing approach? And I'd like to preface this section with a quick discussion on performance in general. Now, having researched performance for many years, I think the big takeaway is past performance should only be relied upon to confirm that a manager or fund can successfully implement their strategy but I would never use it to prove that a strategy is successful because markets change, the economy changes, the rules change, regulatory and tax. So just because something has worked in the past means little to nothing about its future success. Everything we do in investing and in portfolio management is future facing, not backwards. The salespeople will always talk about the past, but when you're making investment decisions, you always need to look forward. I would also warn that all performance is time period dependent, which means it only shows you a snapshot and it almost doesn't matter what the investment is. You can almost always find a time period where you can make the performance look good. And it's unfortunate. It would be much easier if we could just look at a fund's three, five and 10 year track record and assume that the higher the number, the better the investment. But that typically doesn't work and is typically a disastrous strategy. But I don't say this to prepare you for bad numbers from the BRI portfolio. The opposite is actually true, but I just want you to make sure performance is always put into the proper context. You don't put too much emphasis on it. You want to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you feel that's going to play out in the future. The past is the past, and the performance is always just a record of the past. So back to the previous study, we were discussing where the S P 500 was divided up into two different portfolios, one biblically responsible, one not, they then ran a performance reports on the two portfolios. They looked at the three year, five year, and ten year performance numbers. And what they found was that the biblically responsible portfolio outperformed in all time periods on both an absolute and a risk-adjusted basis. So this means that the return numbers were higher in the biblically responsible portfolio, Just if you just compare them one to another. But more importantly, they were also higher when you accounted for the risk that each fund took in an effort to achieve the returns that they did. And that's important because we've all heard the adage, no risk, no reward. And it's often true that- Something that produces a higher return typically took a higher risk to achieve it. But in this case, the case of a risk-adjusted return, the risk has been taken into account. And what is left is how much return did you earn for a single unit of risk that you took? Or put another way, how efficient was the investment? And what they found was biblically responsible investing or that portfolio was more efficient than the non-biblically responsible portfolio across all time periods. So from a strictly investment management perspective, one should seek to allocate to biblically responsible investing as it produces a higher risk adjusted return, it provides a more diversified portfolio, and it better aligns the portfolio with the historical drivers of long-term performance, aka smart beta. And last but not least, let's talk about the biblical reasons that one should seek a biblically responsible investment strategy. Because the political and social case for BRI is obvious and the academic and performance case for BRI can be demonstrated. What may not be as obvious is the spiritual implications for how you invest your money. For instance, when we think we're just buying coffee on the way to work or just getting some items on the way home from the store, we may be giving money to companies who in turn use the profits that they generate from us to support Causes that are explicitly spoken against in the Bible, such as abortion, pornography, and so on. So what does the Bible tell us about the management of our money? What's the point of BRI? Why should we even bother? Well, the first thing I think is that it's not really our money. It's that God owns everything, and that includes our time, our talent, and our treasure. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, to the Lord your God belongs to heavens, even to highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Psalms twenty four one says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So it seems pretty clear that we don't own any of this. Our money is not our own. Sure, we may have earned it, but we earned it with the time and talents that God's entrusted us with. God owns it, he's entrusted us with it. So you might say, okay, if it's God's money and it's in my possession for the time being, so now what? Well, if we buy the premise that God owns it all, then the best we can assume we are is stewards, and we're called to be good stewards of what God's entrusted us with, meaning we use it in a way that's in the best interest of its owner, in our case, God. The parable of the talents, the master rewarded the servants who used their talents and multiplied them, but punished the one who buried his in the ground and hid it. In this case, the two servants that were good stewards used what they were given to further increase their master's estate. In our case, we want to use what we've been given to further increase God's kingdom. And one way we can glorify God with the money he's entrusted us with and further his kingdom is to invest in companies and businesses that aren't actively promoting or profiting from things that go directly against his written word. And finally, we're called to be doers of the word, not just hearers. In the parable of the builder, Jesus said that the person who hears his words and acts on them is like the builder who built his house on the rock. But the person who hears his words and doesn't act on them is like the builder who built his house on the sand. So the difference between being on the rock and being on the sand is acting or not acting on the word of God. So it's clear that just hearing the word of God and knowing what it says is not enough. We must be willing to act on it and have faith in it. So that about wraps it up for today. Have a great day. God bless.